The Power Zone Sports Podcast is presented by Titan Home Lending, Print and Marketing Solutions, our realtor, Stahl Alvarado, and our newest sponsor, Jeffrey Shainer and JaVale Vacation Rentals. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay, it is God, 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 God. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The two one. Swan Lane drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. Here's the run of the play. He is going to run. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. All right, welcome in. Powers on Sports Podcast. Appreciate you finding us on your various podcast platforms. I'm your host, Jason, down in Tampa. Just wrapped up Super Bowl 57 with a dramatic win. Kansas City 38, the Philadelphia Eagles 35. We're going to get into some of the uh, notes from the game as uh, here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, we got a good episode for you. We're going to talk to Matt Zemick. Matt is the uh, editor for USA Today's Trojan Wire. He covers the USC Trojans as well as uh, national college basketball around the country. We're going to have a good chat with Matt as we approach about we're about three weeks away from Selection Sunday. We're going to hit a variety of topics. You know what's wrong with North Carolina and Kentucky. We're going to talk about you know the top four seeds. Who he thinks potentially as a sleeper at the mid-major level or maybe the Power Five conference level. We're also going to talk about the New Mexico State situation where they've shut down their basketball program. Uh, before we get started, I want to hit on a couple of things. Shout out to all the uh, students in, uh, in Michigan State University community after the tragic shooting on campus on Monday night of this week. Uh, three fatalities three students lost their lives we had to, had a, had a shooter on campus they ended up the shooter ended up committing uh, suicide as he was confronted a couple hours after the incident but just a terrible situation for the uh, the faculty and community there in East Lansing just yet again another ill-advised and unnecessary uh, mass shooting in this country uh, you know, everybody's got their opinion on guns, but it's we've got to, as a country, do something here to curb this this behavior a little bit. Um, to me, you know, the access to guns and the ease that people can get get, get guns is just too easy. Uh, not saying there's not a place in society for people to have weapons for a variety of different things, but it's, we've got to do a better job as a country to make these uh, the ability to get a weapon more challenging and more uh, with more uh, evidence that you deserve and need to have this weapon. So I know that's a touchy topic for a lot of people, but you know, nobody can disagree that uh, there are just too many guns in this, in, in this war in, in the United States. And we by far are the leaders worldwide of mass shootings and such. And that should not be the case in a, in a, in a great place that we live like it is. But, uh, but tragically three Three students passed away um, at Michigan State. So just want to give a shout out to the end of the whole East Lansing community, and give a, and give a, give some uh, credit to the uh, Michigan State Police and all the law enforcement authorities. They did a really good job of keeping the public informed of what was going on. Very transparent in the press conferences that I saw. I was watching a lot of that coverage live when it was happening, and those those uh, those. Uh, law enforcement officials and agencies did a really good job coordinating the effort of locking down the university, finding the uh, the, the assailant, uh, and all that stuff. So give credit out to the uh, Michigan State Police and all the federal authorities and local uh, police authorities that were there to assist in that process because uh, seemed to go very very smooth and uh, was able to uh, apprehend the suspect pretty quick within a couple of hours. So. Uh, the NBA All-Star Game is this weekend in Salt Lake City. Again, do you care? I really don't. I mean, I, I don't think I will watch. I might watch five minutes of it on Sunday night only because there's nothing else maybe on TV on Sunday night. But that's just an event that has just over the years has gotten less and less uh, fanfare for me at least. 
I know people are get excited about the three-point contest and the skills challenge and some of that stuff, but, man, it is just tough to watch. The game itself on Sunday is an absolute waste until about the last four minutes of the game when they actually try a little bit. Um, so that's just a tough, tough uh, event for me to get into. Uh, you know, none of the really star players are involved in the dunk contest. I mean, that would that's what would make the dunk contest uh, you know, must-watch TVs if you get guys like Durant or, or you know, LeBron James or Giannis or some of these guys to get involved in the dunk contest. Um, kind of like back in the day, remember Dominique, Jordan was in it, Dr. J, you know, Spud Webb, some, you know, just some big-name guys were in the dunk contest on a very regular basis. And, and for LeBron James, as an example, never to be in the dunk contest, I think that's a disgrace. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of that at all, but, uh, you know, Everybody does their own thing, so I guess so. But I, I, I will not be watching much of the All-Star game. Again, I might catch the last couple of minutes if I happen to be flipping around on Sunday night, but that will not be must-see TV for me. So games in Salt Lake City. We'll see how that uh, how that, how that community embraces the All-Star game. It'll be, be out there. Um, so All-Star game in Salt Lake City. Spring training starts around uh, most of Major League Baseball this week. So, again, pitchers and catchers reporting to your favorite team. You know, obviously spring training is held in Florida and Arizona. So you will, you'll see your favorite uh, team start to report to spring training and such. So you'll see some uh, late signings here in the next couple of weeks of some guys that are still free agents. Um, but, again, spring training, if you're in the Arizona and Florida communities, it's a big economic uh, boost for those communities. So if you're in that area and you go want to go hang out and watch a spring training game, I would uh, encourage you to do that. Luckily, here in Tampa, we do have the home of the Yankees here at Steinbrenner Field. So we will have spring training with the Yankees, where I live, actually live about five minutes down the street from the stadium. So that will get cranked up here another week, probably 10 days, 10, 12 days. The games will begin there late February all through March. So, uh, again, fun to go watch. You know, fun to go watch a spring training game for five or six innings, especially if you catch it on a day where the starters get a couple of at bats and you see a couple of pitchers that you recognize. But again, it's still a uh, ramping up process for the players, for the pitchers, and you know, obviously the batters. The good players are, are not going to play much early on, especially most guys as they progress through spring training will get maybe a couple of at bats. And they'll wind through the roster here to get a bunch of guys some some exposure and some and make some decisions on their roster. So there's your spring training update. Uh, Chris Beard, the Texas coach who was just fired, his charges have been dropped. Uh, the DA dropped the charges of the you know the alleged assault on I think it was his girlfriend or fiance. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with Chris Beard if he were to get another job here at the end of this offseason. And it'll be interesting to see what Texas does if they if they keep Rodney Terry, who's the interim coach. Texas is playing really well right now. They're probably a two seed in the NCAA tournament as of now. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what, what Texas does with Rodney Terry and see what Chris Beard's future is as well. All right, let's get to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 57. Chiefs win their second Super Bowl from under Mahomes, from Mahomes and Andy Reid. Uh, again, a dramatic game, 38-35 final. Obviously, everybody's going to talk about the holding call at the end of the game that kind of allowed Kansas City to run the clock down and kick the field goal there at the end. Um, you know, my opinion on the hold, it was a question, you know, by the letter of the law, was it holding? Yes. I would have loved to have seen the official let the play finish. See if you remember the play it was the, it was a little wheel, you know, a little inside out route that that Juju Smith turned up the field. Mahomes overthrew him pretty significantly in the end zone. The flag was thrown prior to Mahomes throwing the ball, so the official obviously didn't know where the ball would land. In a perfect scenario, I would have loved for the official, who was a deep wing official, to maybe have waited to see where the throw ended up and had the throw ended up on the fingertips of, of Schuster that, that ended up incomplete or within a half a yard or so. Maybe you, you clearly can throw that flag. That's a flag you could throw late if you wanted to throw it. There was, you know, at that moment of the game, you want to make sure as an official, it's a really good foul because you realize that if you call a foul there on the defense, especially and it was a third down play, you're going to be pretty much uh, finalizing the result of the game. Um, again, letter of the law was it a hold, probably, and it, but it wasn't an egregious hold. You know, obviously, you, we've seen many, much, much worse holds. 
Uh, give the, the crew credit. They did a really good job throughout the game letting the teams play. I didn't think there was a lot of questionable calls to begin with during the game. So, again, I think that was a, you, you saw one earlier in the first half, again, involving Schuster on a, and Bradbury on a crossing route that it looked like Bradbury might have hooked Schuster's arm. That was no call. But then you get that call late in the game. Again, my only my only complaint to the official to the you know the officiating crew and that particular official would have been maybe you wait till the end of that play to see where the ball ends up. That ball clearly was way overthrown by Mahomes. If it's not clearly way overthrown, if it's right on the guy's fingertips, maybe you throw the flag late. Again, I don't think anybody would have had a problem if you throw the flag late there for a hold, especially if the ball would have been just off the fingertips of Schuster or something like that. So. Um, but as far as the game goes, again, um, for me, a couple big moments in the game. Obviously, the Jalen Hurts fumble in the second quarter that led to a, a Kansas City defensive touchdown. Philly was up 14-7 and driving. Had they scored, it would have been 21-7. So that was a big moment. End of the first half, Philadelphia was driving. They were up 21-14. They had the ball on like the 18-19-18 yard line of Kansas City with about 12, 14, about 15 seconds left in the, in the half, and they had a timeout. They threw about a two or three yard pass on first down with about 15 seconds left. I didn't like that Kansas City did not call timeout there with 15 seconds. You still had at least one shot in the end zone. You could have taken potentially two shots. Um, you easily could have thrown the ball away if there was any issues and still kicked the field goal. I did not like that Kansas or Philadelphia let the clock run down to four seconds to kick a field goal and basically let 11 seconds go. Uh, before they called their timeout, I think they should have called timeout, thrown at least one ball in the end zone because the Kansas City DBs were having all kind of issues with Smith, Goddard, and A.J. Brown. You could have easily probably thrown one, if not two, balls in the end zone there. If not, easily probably could have gotten a seven or eight-yard completion out of bounds because Kansas City would have been defending the goal line more so than they would have been defending a six- or seven-yard pass. Um, so... That would be my only uh, complaint with what Sirianni did. Obviously, give Mahomes credit. He got injured late in the first half. I definitely think the 29, 30-minute halftime helped Mahomes as far as treatment and things like that. Kansas City comes out and scores three touchdowns and a field goal on their four possessions in the second half. Um, uh, Philadelphia did punt once. They obviously gave up the long punt return as well in the second half, which turned out to be a big moment. Um, so... Kansas City, 38-35 winners, Super Bowl 57. Mahomes was the MVP. Jalen Hurts was the best player on the field. He was tremendous. Um, three rushing touchdowns, a passing touchdown. The Philadelphia pass rush was non-existent, so give full credit to the Kansas City offensive line. They did an excellent job keeping Mahomes uh, clean, allowing him to do what he needed to do in the second half especially. Kansas City ran the ball exceptionally well in the second half as well with Pacheco and McKinnon. So, again, give Andy Reid credit for sticking to the run and all that good stuff. Um, so, again, Andy Reid's second Super Bowl title in four appearances. What is Reid's legacy? Reid is obviously going to be a Hall of Fame coach. This guy's had been to four Super Bowls as a head coach. The, the, you know, all the championship games he was that he's been to, both with Kansas City and Philadelphia. He is quickly rising up into the top 10, I think, all time. Not many guys have, I think only 13 coaches have two Super Bowl rings. Uh, obviously, he's probably going to be uh, have an opportunity in the next three or four years with Mahomes to at least win one more. Uh, and obviously, all the talk is, can Mahomes catch Brady seven? I do not think Mahomes will be able to do that because of, one, most importantly, the depth of the AFC in the quarterback department. You got tremendous, and they're all, and most of them are young, quarterbacks, elite-level quarterbacks in the AFC. Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Herbert, Lamar Jackson, potentially Aaron Rodgers for a couple of years. So you got just tremendous, tremendous, still got Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. That's all in the AFC. So for Kansas City to have to get through that gauntlet uh, of getting through the AFC for the next five or six years, eight years, to be able to get to seven or eight Super Bowl appearances, much less winning seven or eight of them, I think it's going to be a very, very tall task. Invariably, they're going to have to play a road playoff game. They have yet to have to had to do that under Mahomes. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how, that's going to eventually change. And by sheer luck, they're going to get they're going to get bumped out. Whether Mahomes gets in, injured one year, whether they're def they just get outscored. You know, remember their defense is not great. Their defense is at best been middle of the road defensively 
during the Mahomes era. So um, I don't think uh, Mahomes will get to seven, but I could see him winning four, maybe five Super Bowls. But getting to that magic number of seven of Brady is going to be awful, awful difficult. So last thing I want to talk about is kind of the future of Eric Bieniemy. A lot of people are wondering why Bieniemy has not gotten a head coaching job and all that stuff. Here's what I would say on Bieniemy: One, he needs to go somewhere where he's not under the under the wings of, of Andy Reid because so many people give Andy Reid credit from the players. You hear Mahomes reference Andy Reid a lot. You hear other players on the team reference the offensive creativity of Reid. You don't ever hear a lot of guys talking about what Eric Bieniemy's doing. Not saying he's not contributing to that process because he is, but you know Andy Reid. Is gonna is getting way more of the credit than Eric Bieniemy is. You hear it from Kelsey, you hear it from Mahomes, you hear it from all these guys related to Andy Reid. So if Bieniemy wants to get a job, he needs to go have a top flight offense somewhere else. Whether it's uh, you know potentially Washington, that would be a place he could go. Working for a guy Ron Rivera who's got some Andy Reid roots. So I would expect I would be very shocked if he's not in Washington and Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator. The other thing about Bieniemy too. He's been on numerous interviews the last several years. He's got, you know, and, and, if you, and I hate to say this, but if you look in his background, he's got some off-the-field issues, both as a player and a coach, back in his Colorado days. I think he was, I think if you do a little research, he, he, was, a, uh, he was pulled over for a DUI back in the early 2000s. So he's had a couple of incidents with the law, and it's just really difficult, I think, if you're an NFL, if you're an NFL owner, to put the face of the franchise as your head coach, guys with the, with the, with a couple of the legal issues he's had. Again, is it is it egregious uh, off the field behavior? No, but it's enough stuff where people are always going to be digging up stuff on Bienemy, and that's not. I don't think that's something you want necessarily as your as your head coach of your team. Good coach, you can you can mask some of those things with him being an assistant coach or a coordinator. But when he's the face of your franchise and he has some of those things in his past from an off-the-field issue, those are things that are tough to overcome. And again, I have no idea what the what the respect level of Eric Bieniemy is around the league as a football coach. Again, seems to be have a lot of camaraderie with the players and all that stuff. But again, from an X's and O's perspective, don't know what his the opinion of Eric Bieniemy is. Again, you hear a lot of the chatter out of Kansas City talking about Andy Reid this, Andy Reid that. You don't hear a ton of the players saying, well, this is Eric Bieniemy's offense and he's he's the orchestrator of this. And here's one other thing. Ryan Poles. You say, who's Ryan Poles? Well, Ryan Poles is the new general manager of the Chicago Bears. Been there one year. He was in the Kansas City organization for numerous years prior to getting the head the GM job in Chicago last year. Well, when he interviewed head coaches for, in Chicago, guess who he didn't interview? He did not interview Eric Bieniemy. Of all the candidates, they ended up they ended up hiring Matt Eberflus. But for him to not even interview Eric Bieniemy, that's got to tell you something too, to some degree, something about something that's going on with Eric Bieniemy. If the guy who was in Kansas City as this, as the assistant GM didn't even interview Eric Bieniemy for the head coaching job when he got the job in Chicago last year, that's got to make you wonder a little bit about what's going on. So. Uh, again, good coach. I'm sure he's got major, you know, he's contributed to this offensive scheme. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with Eric Bieniemy here in the next couple of years as we move forward. So, again, got a good episode, got a good interview for you coming up. Spot Matt Zemek, USA Today Trojan Wire. We're going to talk. We're going to hit some college basketball nuggets and topics as we're about three weeks away from Selection Sunday, one of my favorite days of the year as well. So. Appreciate you finding us. Again, reach out to us on Twitter, JPO Sports. If you haven't already done so, hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform. Subscribe to the podcast. The episodes will drop into your uh, device every single week as we drop them. Again, we try to get you an episode every single week throughout the year. And uh, again, you'll enjoy my chat with Matt Zemek. He is super knowledgeable on the different uh, topics we're going to talk about in the college basketball season with about three weeks left till Selection Sunday. So enjoy my chat with Matt Zemek. We'll be right back in just a minute. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions, as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. If you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 
538-9572. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions, my guy Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs, corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist. Again, print and marketing specialist, Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Now a word from Jaleel Vacation Rentals. As we enter the 2023 vacation season, if you are heading to the Caribbean, down to St. Martin's this vacation season, reach out to Verbo.com, listing number 650201, to rent your perfect penthouse condo that overlooks St. Martin's and the ocean. This two-bedroom, two-bath condo, use the promo code JASON23 when reserving it with Jeffrey Shaner. 941-830-0056. And again, verbo.com, VRBO.com, listing number 650201. You can reserve this condo anytime throughout 2023. The condo and St. Martin's is half Dutch and half French. It's a beautiful vacation spot for both your family and or that special loved one in your life. So reach out to Jeffrey Shaner, 941-830-0056, and tell him the Powers on Sports podcast sent you. All right, welcome in to the Powers on Sports podcast. Appreciate you finding us. We got one great guest for you this week. Hopefully you you heard my Super Bowl thoughts. We're going to talk to Matt Zemick. Matt is our, uh, he's our kind of our college football, college hoops analyst. He uh, covers... The USC Trojans for USA Today's Trojan Wire is the ed- editor of that uh, that great website. Does a great job covering all things USC, but he's also a savant when it comes to all things college hoops and college football. So welcome back, Matt Zemek. Thanks for having me, Jason. Great to be back. And, you know, Super Bowl's over. It's college hoops for the next month and a half. Uh, and I know, you know, NFL free agency, yeah, yeah. But in terms of like on the field, it's college hoops for the next several weeks. It's a Absolutely. fun time of year. We're about three and a half weeks from Selection Sunday, one of my favorite days of the year. You know, that build up till six o'clock on CBS to the release is always really cool. I always, you know, that is must watch. Tom Brady's not going to unretire on Selection Sunday. <laughs> like he did last year? Yes. <laughs> You're right. You never know, though. You never know with that guy. You never know. But, um, He's not that evil. I know you're right. That would be a bad. That would be a bad look if he comes back out of retirement a second time. That would be a really bad look. Matt also is the host of the Free Throw Awareness Podcast. Again, all things college hoops. So he, Matt does a great job again throughout the year. And uh, first things first, before we get to the hoops, the Super Bowl was in your backyard over the weekend. Any uh, give the audience a little sense of just of the atmosphere in and around where you're at in Phoenix and and all that good stuff related to the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, it was a party here in Phoenix uh, for, for the past week. And got to say, the three Super Bowls that have been played in Glendale. Now, that was an Arizona Super Bowl back in 1996. That was Super Bowl 30 with the Cowboys beating the Steelers. Barry Switzer winning his one Super Bowl. Neil O'Donnell throwing the pick six to Larry Brown yep. in the fourth quarter. That wasn't an especially great game. It was an interesting game. And, of course, Steelers-Cowboys, that was very sexy with, you know, roots in the NFL's past and the great meetings in the 1970s. Uh, But the three Super Bowls, the the three Arizona Super Bowls that have been played in Glendale. So Super Bowl 42, the Giants over the Patriots, Super Bowl 49, the Patriots over the Seahawks, and this game, like, these are games that are are immortal. Like, they're going to be talked about forever among NFL people. So, hey, you know, whenever the Super Bowl comes back to Glendale, (laughs) you can expect a memorable Super Bowl game so like that that's like the broader story I mean you know we can talk Chiefs and Eagles but like just as an as a native Arizonan 
Arizona Super Bowls are delivering the goods. And you were telling me how Glendale is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's not right in Phoenix or downtown. It's Phoenix, Scottsdale. It's kind of way out by itself. So just give the audience, what is it, 20? I think I read something online by a couple journalists. It's like a 20 or 30, 20 to 30 mile ride from where a lot of those guys were staying in downtown at the convention center. Yeah. And it's not just Glendale. It's the Northwestern outskirts of Glendale. So it's like the, it's the outer edge of the suburbs. And, you know, if you remember that the, the first Arizona Super Bowl was at Sun Devil Stadium, you know, Arizona State's home stadium, yep. that's in Tempe. It's like near all the spring training ballparks. It's near all the golf courses. It's near the resorts. You know, if you have any of you listening to the Powers on Sports podcast have been out here to the greater Phoenix area to get in around a golf championship golf golf courses are in the are on the east side, Scottsdale, Tempe, Mesa. Um, you know, that's really where all the, the action is. The Phoenician Resort, uh, the other uh, you know world class resorts. Yep. They're on the east side of town, and Sun Devil Stadium is near all of that. It's near Mill Avenue in Tempe, one of the great people-watching uh, streets uh, <laughs> in, in in the larger Phoenix area. I mean, it's in Tempe on the ASU campus. But, you know, so like the nightlife, the interesting spots, the, the popping places, Sun Devil Stadium was near that. The State Farm Stadium in Glendale is just a plunked out in the middle of nothing. And it's just so ridiculous. What's the deal? I mean, in all seriousness, have they figured out, you know, and this this got a lot of play on, on, on in, during the Super Bowl broadcast and afterwards, what's the deal with the turf out there, the turf situation? Well, the, the thing with the turf is, and I mentioned this early uh, on, on Twitter during the game, you know, if you recall, if you go back to like the late 1970s and the early 1980s and the Super Bowl fields, the Super Bowl logos were really, really small. They put them at the 35 yard line. They were like four or five yards wide. They'd go yeah. from like the 33 to the 37 yard line. Right. They were almost like dots if you're looking at them from the upper deck. Now the Super Bowl logos are huge. They take up about 15 yards. Right. And so all of that paint, you know, if you're applying another uh, chemical set of chemicals on top Slick. of the natural grass, that is going to make the surface uh, a lot more slippery. So, like that, and, and of course, those logos—they're between the hash marks, so that is where the, the 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 play originates. So you're talking about a lot of real estate where plays originate, where players are moving. Now, like, so it would be interesting to see, just as an experiment, if in the future on natural grass stadiums, if they put the Super Bowl logo. Now they made it large, but they put it outside the hash marks. Right? Would you get nearly as many? complaints because then you're not then it's not at the center of the action uh so that's an interesting uh little nuance there that the super bowl logos are now so large compared to what they used to be and it, the paint was slippery and if you're going to apply paint on a grass surface i mean it stands to reason it's going to be slippery now if you apply it to a synthetic surface you know that's that's already there you know the, the paint yeah. it, you put you you will create the synthetic plain surface with the paint already applied but but having this new sod and the paint the fresh paint on yeah. the you know organic grass i am i can imagine how that would create a lot of slippage they were um, not ha they were not happy in that game those players they were not i i think the other thing though and and this might you know kind of militate against the paint painted logo theory is that if you recall past uh, BCS national championship games played in that same stadium, like Oregon, Auburn yep. in January of 2011, other big bowl games. That's been an issue too. And maybe it's just because you have the enclosed, you know, it's like, kind of like Texas stadium, that, that state farm stadium where you have the big overhang over the seats and you have a cut open hole over the actual playing field. Now, of course, state farm stadium has a retractable roof, Whereas Texas Stadium, you know, the old Cowboy Stadium did not. Right. But like maybe that tr that overhang traps in air and it creates a more humid environment. And there's slick. a parallel here. Arthur Ashe Stadium at the U.S. Open, you know, it used to be an open bowl. They put in that huge, they, you know, they decided to build a dome over a stadium, you know, retrofitting it. Like they didn't build a dome over Ashe Stadium initially. Right. It was this huge, massive open bowl. Like it wasn't well constructed. Like they, they either, they should have, you know, made it made the stadium more intimate 
and put a dome over it. They didn't do it that way. So like 18 years after it gets built in 1997, they put the overhang in in 2015, and then they actually put in the retractable roof in 2016. But since they put in that overhang, the, the air at the U.S. Open at Ash Stadium, it's been a lot more humid. The conditions have been a lot more humid because you're blocking the wind. You're blocking the right. wind that has that drying uh, effect. So that might also be what's at work at, at, in uh, State Farm Stadium in uh, Glendale. All right, last Phoenix question, We'll get, then we'll get to the hoops. Ever been to the 16th hole at the Waste Management? I have not been there, but, like, it is – it's, like, the ultimate fan experience in golf. Oh, like, yeah. nothing else comes close. It's 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 the ultimate. It's just – it's amazing how that one hole has created such a reputation on tour. Like, you know, the 18th at Pebble or the 17th at the Players. Yeah. You know, those are iconic golf holes. But in terms of a fan experience, it is 16 uh, at in Phoenix. It, it's amazing. And, of course – you know, I'm old enough to remember that the Phoenix Open used to be played at another golf course. It used to be played in the middle of the city at the old Phoenix Country Club. Uh, okay. Uh, like, I remember Calvin Pete winning uh, the Phoenix Open uh, in the early 1980s. And that was just in the middle of the city. And you didn't have uh, anything like what you now have at the at the Phoenix Open at its new uh, location. So, like, this is not something that existed in the 70s or 80s. This is a relatively... This is a 21st century thing at, at the new Phoenix Open. And the reason why it's so cool is because it's so anti-golf. They, they encourage the rowdiness. They encourage yes. the fans going That's nuts right. for the players where you're at most other golf tournaments. It's, hey, be quiet and all that stuff. Yes. It's encouraged in Phoenix. Yes. And, and, and the players embrace it, too. That's the other important thing that like they realize this is a unique thing. And, and let, let's stop being stuffed shirts for a week. Let's just uh -huh. let it out and have fun. I'm with you. I'm with and you. And sports are supposed to be fun. That's a Absolutely. really good reminder. And Scotty Scheffler repeats as champion, back-to-back -back champion there at Phoenix. So, all right, let's get on to the hoops. I want to start with the net. I want to start with the bad stuff first, then we'll get to the good stuff. What's going on with the Blue Bloods, Kentucky and North Carolina? If you look at most of the projections in or out of the tournament right now, one is out of Kentucky. They got Kentucky out, and they got Carolina hanging on by the skinny skin of their chinny chin chin there. What are you seeing just over the course of the last month or so with those two teams? Well, it goes beyond the past month. You know, to me, uh, when uh, Kentucky lost to St. Peter's uh, and, you know, Kentucky was a leading national championship contender as a number two seed. Oscar Shibway was the national player of the year. You're thinking like this is a team that can go all the way. And of course, I mean, losing to a 15 seed kind of speaks for itself as being a, a face plant and a massive failure. But if you remember that game, Jason, you know, if you watch that game and I, you know, I obviously I didn't tune in until the yeah. end when, when I, oh, oh, my God, St. Peter's could actually do this. So I, you know, switched to that game from the other NCAA tournament games I was covering. And in the last four games, Shibway hardly got a touch. Yeah. Shibway did not get the basketball consistently against a number 15 seed. Now, you did say that St. Peter's defense was great, and it was. Like, like you give credit to the Peacocks for, for what they did and how hard they fought. But if you're John Calipari, like, you have to be able to design plays, something to make sure that the ball is going to your national player of the year. And so that was a real five-alarm fire. That was a real flashing red light that told me, huh, Calipari's lost his fastball. Like he's become, and I didn't think about it at the time, but like in light of what's happened in college football this past year, he really is right now the Jimbo Fisher of college basketball. <laughs> That's I mean, a good you know, analogy. Winning the national title and then having a great run of several years and then clearly losing his fastball. Like that's and, the, that's what's happened with Jimbo uh, at College Station with the Aggies. So like Calipari needs a, a re a rebirth. Like he needs his offenses and his sets and his his plays like you know he used to call great plays and it wasn't just coasting on the great talent that he had carl anthony towns and of course before that anthony davis and the national yep. championship team he called good stuff kentucky ran good plays i mean players were in the right spots you don't see that you don't see the same well-drilled team like a few weeks ago the loss to arkansas and rupp arena they were just throwing the ball all around the building yep. like no coherence no organization it's just a mess. I mean, he so Calipari really has lost something. He needs to get it back. I don't think you fire him, but I do think that next year, 
if it doesn't come together, and if you're Kentucky, you need to ask serious questions. I mean, Tubby Smith, he also won the national title at Kentucky, but like it, it, it fizzled out and you have to be honest with yourself at Kentucky. Uh, and you, you can't just automatically let this thing continue to go. Cause you know, Kentucky hasn't been to the final four since 2015. I, I You're not making that... the final four in eight years at, at Kentucky. Like that's a problem now to be now. And I'll... I will say to be, I will say to be fair to Calipari, Dean Smith went nine years without a final four at North Carolina. He won it all in 82, didn't get back to the final four until 91. But, but the difference is that Dean Smith was making the Sweet 16 every single year. He just couldn't break through in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. So that's kind of different. Kentucky's had some really bad seasons. You know, we remember the 2013 NIT loss to Bobby Moe, Robert Morris, and he's had a few (laughs) other face plant season so like yeah this has gone off the rails and calipari really needs to get it back and as for you want to say something about yeah kentucky. i was gonna say about kentucky to me this is kind of the the culmination of all the one and done recruiting philosophy if you miss if i mean yep. they don't have any elite players Sheboy is the only elite player they got and he's and he wasn't a one and done guy he was a transfer he's not done a great job evaluating these freshmen because They've not had a big-time freshman in the last couple of, several years that's been an elite player. Absolutely, and it's especially true at point guard, right? Like, he he needs that, that floor general to be able to just take full control of the offense because then you'll get the organization that we don't see from this Kentucky team. Uh, you know, you think of great Kentucky uh, point guards like, you know, De'Aaron Fox. You know, John you Wall. Had, Fox. John Wall. Yeah. Yeah, and, and of course, before Calipari, you know, uh, Tur- Wayne Turner. Yeah. And, yep. you know, the other the other great uh, floor generals, Tony Delk. There are Patinos, you know, right, right. You know, players who would tra- – and Travis Ford, players who would just totally take control of a game, would get the ball to the elite wings, the yep. elite, elite bigs, and you don't have that great uh, point guard, uh, you know, for Kentucky. Let's now, go to in terms Carolina. Of- Let's go to Carolina. Carolina. So here's the thing with Carolina. And all return. Remember, with- folks, most of their guys all came back from the national title team. They all came yeah, back. That's right. This was supposed to be 2007 Florida, Florida part right, two. Right. This was supposed to be Billy D and the boys 16 years later. Right. The same kind of thing, making right. back-to-back national championship games. Yeah. So the thing that's, uh, you know, there's a parallel here with the USC basketball team that I cover for Trojans Wire, Jason, and that is that. You know, if, for USC, if Boogie Ellis isn't shooting the ball, team suffers. Like if it, 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 USC has to get a good, a decent, at least a decent shooting game from Boogie Ellis to to function well on offense. And so for North Carolina, the sobering, uncomfortable, inconvenient truth is that if Caleb Love is not hitting threes, if Caleb Love is not on his game, this team doesn't function well. So like it runs too way too much through one player. It's way too dependent on what one player does. And, you know, that's the, the shocking thing is, like, where where is Leaky Black? Where are the other uh, players, you know, along with to, to help Baycott uh, in, in the paint? Like, it, it's just North Carolina has become surprisingly dependent on Caleb Love tossing everything in. And, you know, when Carolina got on that run, Caleb Love got hot. He Baylor couldn't stop him. UCLA couldn't stop him. Uh, Duke couldn't stop him in the national semifinals. And motivate, so, motive, um, to me, motivation has been a big thing for Carolina, too. They've kind of been lackadaisical in their effort throughout the year. I think they just think, hey, if we can just get in the tournament as a whatever seed, eight or nine seed, we can turn it on because we, 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 we ran the table last year. And, that, and that's the thing. I think there was a flip the switch mentality because that is what happened last year. And so that that has persisted this year. Uh, I will I will say that, you know, Hubert Davis was willing to do the uh, Sports Illustrated cover, you know, in 1981, Sports Illustrated did a classic cover with Dean Smith and and his uh, elite North Carolina players, James Worthy, uh, I think Matt Doherty was there, Sam Perkins was there, right, right. Dean Smith in the jacket with a piece of chalk. And so Hubert Davis and the, and the, the gang that was coming back, they recreated that. Boy, if you're going to recreate that Sports Illustrated <laughs> photo from the Dean Smith days, you should have a championship mentality that like right. we're going to carry on the Dean Smith legacy. So the fact that North Carolina state's players have not been mentally prepared 
Uh, that's a real indictment of Hubert Davis that he right. wasn't able to lock in that standard from the start. Cause like, you know, with Florida, just to make, draw the comparison, like you had no trouble motivating right. those players. Like Billy Donovan did a great job of coaching them uh, in terms of tactically giving them what they needed, but he didn't have to motivate them. Right. Like the, the, the fire that burned inside Joe Kim Noah and, and uh, Al Horford, uh, Torian Green, right. Corey Brewer, yep. uh, Lee Humphrey, they needed zero motivation. They they were just all kick-butt competitors. They wanted all the smoke. They wanted all the yeah. challenges. And it's just a total 180-degree difference with this North Carolina team. Hubert has to try to kick these guys in the pants, and he's not even succeeding. Right. So a lot of this really magnifies what Philly D and the boys did in 2007. And don't be surprised if you see Carolina in one of these play-in games on that Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday oh, after oh, Selection Sunday. Jason, you know the whole country if they wants make it. Carolina and Kentucky in Dayton <laughs> yeah. for the first four. Bring <laughs> it on. You're Bring right. Bring it on. You are yes, right please. about that. Yes, that would please. be yes, that would be that would be epic television for, for true TV. For true TV. Everybody would know where true TV is. Exactly. And it also brings up the point that if you're a bubble team. You know that CBS and Turner want that game, so you better be a few notches better than Carolina and Kentucky if you want to get one of those last at-large bids. Let's go to the other bad situation that we'll get some of the good stuff. Give give the audience a little sense of this New Mexico State situation. Bad situation. You know, there was more hazing allegations. The university has decided to shut the program down for the rest of the year, forfeit the rest of their games. Obviously, there was a situation back in the fall with it with a murder. Give give the audience a little a little summary of what's going on in New Mexico State. Well, you know, so you've touched on it. There was a shooting. There was hazing. I mean, it's like the ultimate toxic chemical spill, like what that rail that uh, freight train in in Ohio with, with the spill. Chernobyl. Like a, this is freaking Chernobyl. It's a, just a massive disaster in a black chemical cloud. I mean, that's that's the metaphor. But I think the perspective here, Jason, is. New Mexico State has been uh, the embodiment of success, stability, yeah. consistency, reliability. Let's let's remember, first off, in the short term, New Mexico State pulled off a 12-5 upset last year. Uh, got into that's a good, a, the good team the last handful beat of UConn. years. Beat UConn, almost beat Arkansas to get to the Sweet 16. Yeah. But like New Mexico State has been a dynasty in you know mid-major basketball, just winning the WAC tournament. Pretty yeah. much every year, like New Mexico State has made at least what, like 15 NCAA tournaments in the last 20, 25 years. Like, I, I, it's got to be very close solid to half, program, probably more than half the time over the last quarter of a century. Like, this has just been money in the bank. And of course, New, New Mexico State would go through different coaches like Marvin Menzies, who later yes. got the job at UNLV. He was there. Chris Jans just went from. New Mexico State uh, to Mississippi, Mississippi State, right. and Miss, MSU is on the bubble right now. MSU could still get in. Yep. It's been playing well recently. So, like, it's been, it hasn't really mattered which coach. That's the other thing here, that one coach after another after another has been able to maintain New yep. Mexico State. Well, this coach didn't. So, obviously, like, something really went wrong in terms of the culture, in terms of you know, can continue bring, bringing in shady right recruits, probably bringing in some guys that were yep. a little questionable character, things like that. And I think what the administration is doing and just, just from the outside here, they're preeminently doing this because they know the NCAA will come down with the hammer if they don't. Yes. And also it's going to also set up a, a full house cleaning of the coaching staff. You know, that coaching staff, uh, not only can't come back, but like might get a show. The coach, each of the coaches there, certainly the head coach is going to get a show cause, uh, you know, several years uh, that, you know, without being able to coach. So, yeah, I mean, and, and, and of course uh, the decision to permanently suspend the season was, that was a Super Bowl news dump. So, (laughs) you know, like that, that's what, you know, it's really, really toxic. Right. All right. Let's go to the, let's go to the uh, top of the, of the rankings. I'm going to give you these four teams. They've kind of been in and around the top five the entire most of the year. Alabama, Purdue, Houston, UCLA, in no particular order. Which of those four teams do you like the most out of the, you know, and, and if you have another team that you like in there, maybe that top four or five, feel free to add them. But those kind of four have been in and around the top five most of the year. Yeah. Well, if you're just looking at those four, I definitely like Alabama the best. Uh, Brandon Miller. 
oh my God, he he has been the difference maker for this team. You know, he has jump out of the building, athleticism and talent, but he's tough he, and he gets big baskets. Like he's not just a, a showy athlete, but he rises up in the big moments. Yep. So he's been he's been the take charge player that Alabama needs because last year there wasn't quite the the automatic you know assurance of who's getting the ball, who's taking the big shot. That was a problem. You need a lead dog on that team, even though Nate Oates likes to roll a lot of people in and out of the lineup, you know, likes to have a deep bench and kind of use the Rick Pitino, Nolan Richardson style formula of yeah. you know, using depth, distributing the minutes, playing an up-tempo style. You know, when you're on the floor, you're able to give it your all because you know that you're not going to get overextended in terms of minutes. But even on a team where the workload is widely distributed and shared, you do need an alpha dog and Brandon Miller is that. Now, that having been said, while I do like Alabama the best of the four, those four teams, and Alabama's currently in position to be the number one overall seed, uh, the bigger picture, Jason, is that like this is this is going to be another nutty NCAA tournament yes. like last year. Uh, and I don't think the seeds mean a ton. I mean, you know, the matchups will mean a lot, but just the seeds on their face right. aren't going to mean a whole lot. Like, you know, if Tennessee's a two seed, are you afraid of Tennessee as a two seed? If you're the seven in your region, or if you're the right. three and you play the Vols in the Sweet 16, you look at the clunkers that right. Tennessee continues to serve up. Like, you're not going to be scared of the Vols. And like, Arizona could be a two seed. Arizona just got clobbered by Stanford. And Arizona, yep. I mean, Tommy Lloyd's doing a great job there. Uh, but like, this Arizona team is nowhere near as good as last year's team, which had Ben Matherin and Christian Coloco. Uh, th this team doesn't have the horses that last year's team did. Uh, so like it's, it's like Tommy Lloyd's doing well, but you're not going to be scared of Arizona as a two seed. You got uh, the motivation, you have the motivation of Houston trying to get to their home hometown for yeah. the final four. Yeah. They've got a veteran team that's come back, you know, good coach in Kelvin Sampson. They do, but let's talk about Houston. Houston lost to Temple at yep. home and, and Temple didn't make a field goal in the final seven minutes and 18 seconds of that game. And uh, Houston's had a few other close calls uh, against UCF. That that was a pretty close game. The first game uh, on New yeah. Year's Eve, uh, Central Florida led by like three or four points with uh, 12 minutes left before Houston uh, regained control. Down you always worry about Houston one scoring. By only six, you always worry about six. You always worry about Houston scoring. They're drafts. That's right. Good a lot like Tennessee. A lot like Tennessee. And so you know, you know, we have Houston playing Memphis uh, twice. In the next few weeks, and you'll remember that Memphis kicked Houston's butt twice last yep. year. That's how Penny Hardaway was able to get into the NCAA tournament yep. off the bubble. Memphis is, you know, on the bubble right now, yep. probably in the tournament, but like beating Houston would cement a bid for Memphis. I need to see Houston push back against Memphis. If, if Houston can kick Memphis to the curb and and gain a little bit of revenge for last season, that's going to tell me, uh, all right, Houston's ready. I'm a believer, but if it, but if Houston loses to Memphis, if the Tigers uh, yeah. have their way as they did last year, like the game in the game in Houston was close all the way, but the game in Memphis was a blowout. That right. was one way traffic. If Houston gets blown out in Memphis, I think the first of the two games this season is in, is the one in Houston. They'll play in Memphis in early March. If Houston gets ragdolled in Memphis, you know, I'm going to sell my Houston stock. Uh, before the final four. And let's also talk about Purdue, the, you know, yep. these other teams that you mentioned. So like we've seen the past two weeks, you know, Zach Eady can't do it all by himself. He needs help from the backcourt. And that is a young backcourt. Yep. And, you know, when we look at the big 10, Jason, like Northwestern could be the number two seed in the big 10 tournament. Good for him. Good for Chris Collins. Good for them. Yeah. They're going to be back in the NCAs, which is great. That's awesome for Chris Collins and, and the Wildcats. But, but yeah, let's, let's make note that, Let's make note that uh, if Northwestern is the number two seed in your in the Big Ten tournament, the Big Ten is not strong. The Big Ten is not especially deep. So when Purdue Purdue's going to have to play outside the Big Ten in the NCAA tournament with that backcourt, like you get an elite defensive backcourt against that that those Purdue youngsters, that's going to be a mismatch. And so I, I, you can't really express a whole lot of confidence in Purdue. And then let's hit on UCLA because you also mentioned the Bruins. Um, Jaime Jaquez finally looked like the big dog against Oregon. 25 points, 12 rebounds. That's the guy UCLA was expecting 
to have the whole way this season. That guy hasn't been there all the way. But if that's the guy UCLA gets in March, Mick Cronin's going to go back to the Final Four. Talk to me real quick. A couple more teams out west that I again maybe the audience hasn't watched a whole lot. You got two. You got Gonzaga, not as not the star power Gonzaga's had in the past. Still a very solid team with Timmy Strouther. Talk about Gonzaga and talk about St. Mary's a little bit. A kind of under the radar team that's a really good team. Yeah. So Gonzaga, you don't have the elite point guard that you have with Jalen Suggs in 2021 or with Andrew Nembhard in 2022. That's why Gonzaga was a number one seed. You had the elite floor general to lead everything, kind of like what we talked about with Kentucky. You didn't have that dominant point guard to make everything else work. So that's the missing piece for Gonzaga. Uh, and then with St. Mary's, uh, you know, Aiden Mahaney, he's a freshman. He's going to do this three more years for Randy Bennett. So like St. Mary's, St. Mary's can get an elite big to go with Mahaney in the in future seasons. This is a program that could become a final four threat. I don't see it this year. Like St. Mary's might be a sweet 16 team this right. year. But right. if St. Mary's can get an elite big man in the transfer portal, that that St. Mary's could surpass Gonzaga in future seasons, which, you know, no one probably expected a few years ago. And you got the bloodbath of the Big 12. You talk about the 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 uh, oh. eat, eat them alive conference, and they're the best conference from, from one to ten. I mean, they've yeah. got not, I think nine teams yep. are projected to be in the tournament. I think I saw West Virginia with like a five and nine record in the conference, and they're in the tournament. So they're talk in. about the, yeah. just the depth of the of the Big 12, and every night is just a war in that conference. You're looking at at least six teams that are going to be seated five or higher. Yeah. in the Big 12. So no other conference in the country is going to be able to match that. You're going to have at least four teams seated in the top three. You know, So like the Big 12 is going to have at least one team in each of the four regions seated third. And you know, Jason, I know that off the air before this show began, you, you asked me about sleepers. So I'm going to give you a, a sleeper from the Big 12, and it's Baylor. And you might yeah. think, oh, Baylor a sleeper? Well, remember, Baylor wasn't all that great early in the season, right. uh, picked up a few losses and is not going to win the league, but Baylor has Jonathan Chamwa Chachua, the, the great defender yep. rebounder coming back into the lineup. He missed the first three months of the season with an injury. So Baylor has just enough time to integrate him into the lineup. Like we're, we're not dealing with the NCAA tournament right now. Yep. Scott Drew gets a month to integrate Chamwa Chachua back into the lineup. He's going to be physically fresh when we get to the start of the NCAA tournament, and that's why Baylor is a sleeper. And also, TCU hasn't been playing the past few weeks with Mike Miles, the elite right. guard, and Eddie Lampkin in the paint. You get those guys healthy. They're going to be physically fresh for March. And so those like those two are sleepers from the Big 12 because we're not seeing their best. We have, and we haven't seen their best for the past several weeks. Yep. But you have guys coming back into the lineup who are going to be fresher in March, if those guys stay healthy, those teams have a chance. The other sleeper, for the same reason, Arkansas. Because with Nick Smith, the super yep. freshman, he just came back. Eric Musselman gets a month to reintegrate him in the lineup. And if you get a elite Nick Smith in March, Arkansas, which has made the Elite Eight each of the last two seasons, could make another deep run. Musselman is a great tournament coach. Obviously, we remember his runs at Nevada. He knows how to coach in these quick little sure turnaround two-games yep. and three-day scenarios, and he is an excellent, excellent tournament coach. I like that sleeper. Give me a mid – you know, there's a lot of talk about Creighton, you know, some Big East teams, Providence, Creighton, some of these teams. Give me a team, kind of a mid-made give – give me a middle mid, mid-level Power 5 team that you like that's not going to win their league but might be a four or five seed in their league that you really think could do some damage. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, Arkansas would qualify because Arkansas is buried in the SEC standings. Arkansas is not uh, especially close to the top. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, a few weeks ago, Miami was fifth in now the ACC, but Miami's now in the top three and probably, in my mind, is probably going to win the league. Uh, but a few weeks ago, Miami was Miami was struggling on the road. Miami was struggling to close down game ACC games on the road. You know, lost a lead to Pitt, uh, lost another close game uh, on the road uh, er earlier in the ACC season uh, to North Carolina State in overtime. The Hurricanes were tripping up late in road games. But recently, what have they done? They won at Clemson. Then they won at North Carolina on Monday. Jim Laranega 
has that team on the upswing. At just He's right another time. tremendous tournament coach. He is a tremendous tournament coach. Of course, last year, Miami made the Elite Eight for the yeah. first time in school history. So, like, uh, if Miami's like a, Miami's probably going to be like a five, maybe a four, if I'm a number one seed. And this is like when we talk about Purdue and that backcourt, if it's Purdue versus Miami, a one versus a four yep. in the Sweet 16, I'm going with Miami because that Miami backcourt is just going to, Miami's backcourt is going to prevent the Purdue backcourt from getting the ball to Edie. And I, and I think, uh, and I think Indiana is kind of a sleeper. One of these power five, they're probably going to be a fourth or fifth seed in the Big Ten. They got Trace a big Jackson Davis exactly. Trace Jackson Davis could be the Danny Manning 1988 right. of this 2023 NCAA term. Give me a non-power five team or two that you like. Just a quick, quick thought. You know, a Missouri Valley team, or maybe even a team, a West Coast Conference, maybe even a St. Mary's. Who do you think can win two or three games in a tournament scenario? Uh, San Diego State's been kicking butt in the Mountain West. And, uh, you know, I, I would think that San Diego State has done enough to get like a six. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, I, I, and I have said that seeds probably aren't going to matter too much. But really, if you're San Diego State, you'd rather not play Alabama uh, in the round of 32. If you can get up to a six and you're playing like a three seed, uh, in the round of 32, I think San Diego State has the defense, the experience. That is, that is a veteran lineup. Uh, I think San Diego State could uh, get to the Sweet 16. A team like FAU, who's had a big run this year. They've won what a story. 2021 what a story. games. They're finally ranked. They're going to no probably one saw be that the, coming. They're probably going to be in the tournament without having – they probably don't have to win their conference to get in. Yeah. As, they'll be able to they're get in at large, large if they lose the CUSA tournament. Yeah. But, but that'll be a team that will probably be a dangerous eight or nine seed – in that first weekend, that'll give somebody Absolutely. all they want. Absolutely. And if they get through the 8-9 game and they play a 1, they will be playing with house money. All right. Last thing we'll get you out of. Give me your four number one seeds with three weeks to go to Selection Sunday. I think right now the teams that you talked about are the teams that are in line for number one seeds. I think Alabama, Houston, Purdue are pretty solid. And I, th I think really at number four, the fourth one seed, that's where it's an open battle. You know, anyone could get it. Uh, Texas, we haven't mentioned That's Texas. Right. The, the Longhorns are definitely in play because they're going to finish at the top of the Big 12. So probably Texas or Kansas, uh, and then the winner of you know Arizona and UCLA play in early March. Right, right. So the winner of that game or Texas or Kansas for the fourth and final one seed. But Alabama's cementing itself. Houston, if it beats Memphis, would cement itself. So like if Houston loses to Memphis twice, yeah, then Houston comes to the two line. Right. Uh, and then Purdue is still – Purdue would have to lose a few more games probably to fall off the one line. Well, Matt Zemick, great work, man. We'll, we will definitely stay in touch as we get closer to to uh, Selection Sunday and obviously March Madness. Tell everybody where they can find your great work online. Yeah, so I'm covering USC's uh, bubble battles. Uh, the Trojans are very bubblicious right now. Trojanswire.usatoday.com. <laughs> the loss to Oregon State just made our, our lives a lot more complicated. Uh, but that's where you can follow coverage of USC basketball through uh, the end of March into early April. And yeah, we're covering that little football program too. That spring but, you know, football, that spring football yeah. thing that's getting ready to start yeah. here in a month that's or right. so. It's a football school, but it's basketball season. We'll have plenty of time to discuss the football team in due course. Again, you, you'll, you'll see Matt on some different podcasts around the country. Again, yeah, catch, awareness. Catch, catch my free throw awareness podcast at Patreon. If you enjoy it, throw a few bucks in the tip jar you know not expecting uh hundred dollar bills but just want to put a five dollar bill in the tip jar that'd be appreciated for the free throw awareness podcast at patreon all right matt said appreciate the time my man have a great week and we'll be in touch as we get closer to selection sunday my man thanks thank you now a word from titan home lending are you in the market to be a first-time home buyer looking to upsize or even downsize your current property situation Reach out to Jason Powers at Titan Home Lenny, 205-790-1404, anywhere in the state of Florida. Let's get you pre-approved, figure out how much money, how much house you can afford, whether it's an FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo loan, even bank statement loans if you're self-employed. We can help you. You need to buy, you want to build a home. We got a new construction loan available for you. Are you looking to renovate your home? There are renovation loans available and we are experts in the renovation loan it, part of the uh, home financing business. Reach out to me, Jason Powers, 
205-790-1404. From Miami to Orlando to Jacksonville, in Pensacola and anywhere in between, reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, where my loan gets you into your home. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.